the Hamilton Files podcast series. Footy Files, proudly brought to you by Ghetto Express Trade Deliveries. Trade deliveries online, on demand, every time. Go to www.getter.com.au. Welcome in, folks, to another exciting instalment of the Hennessy Footy Files. Today we sit down with a true legend of the sport of rugby league. With a nickname, The Beaver, Stephen Menzies inspired a generation of kids from the Northern Beaches with his freakish talents. In a career span of over 20 years, he won multiple titles with his beloved Manly Seagulls and in doing so became the leading try-scoring forward in the history of rugby league. A true Manly legend who made wearing headgear fashionable. Stoked to sit down today with him to have a chat. Welcome in, Beaver. Thanks, Hen. Thanks for having me. Um, Great setup you've got here. Mate. 2020 what's been going on you've been retired for a couple of years so first before we get into a, a footy chat let's go through what your life is doing these days yeah i'm a full-time mortgage broker um with citywide i've been doing it for about three years i um, love what i'm doing uh, helping people get you know achieve their dreams and goals of buying property um also work for the seagulls as a, a ambassador so we do a bit of stuff with them um involved in a golf business pure form how's that going yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, we custom fit and build golf clubs. It's good. Like it's, um, you get fitted how professionals get fitted in Alexandria there. So involved in a few things. Uh, do a little bit of stuff with New South Wales Rugby League, ambassador style, um, you know, with functions and events and, and corporates. Um, so a few things going and keeping me busy. You've always been a person who likes to keep busy outside of footy. You've had a couple of little uh, businesses on the side, your most famous business. What are you? What the are can, you talking about? The candy machines. Who's tipped you into that one? Because what do you mean, mate? I work for you. <laughs> <laughs> Those candy machines. Uh, well, who put you onto that? Well, it was just this guy, and we saw it and thought, "This is this Milky. is going to be big." So we bought fifteen candy machines and we put them in different businesses, and they were popping out the the M and M's, <laughs> and it was so good. And then, and then they started to break down, and then it. Um, the workers, I can't remember who I employed, but they were terrible workers. Oh, thanks. You <laughs> say, so, and I, to to this day, I I don't know where the 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 fifteen gumball mm. machines are. So if anyone's got one, can you get in contact with me and give me one back? My kids are saying, Dad, we need a gumball machine in our house. I can tell you, <laughs> ten of them were actually at your at one of your houses at uh, Warrywood one day when oh, we went we put to them clean together. up. Is that we put them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had so to okay. put them together. I thought That's they right. were going to come, and I'm. I can do a flat pack. I can't. Um, <laughs> I can't do a, a gumball machine. But please get get those gumball machines yeah, back wherever to me. they are. Someone bring them back to Beaver, please. Uh, talk about these days with the NRL. You're still working a little bit with Fox, aren't you? You still do a couple of things. We were just talking off air about a pretty funny thing you did with Heine and that. How funny is that to do? Yeah, look, it's good. I probably do five or six things. Um, people come up to me all the time. How are you going? What's the you know? What are you doing in there? But I probably only do five or six um, little skits and stuff for them and whack my headgear on and come in but I was, I was Donald Trump the other day well I think last year I was dressed up as it we came in and scared Maddie it was the full makeup literally two and a half hours the full professional makeup uh, I was walking around Fox looking like it you know like yeah. scaring those guys looking at me oh my god it was um, look it, it's a bit of fun and they um, you can see the energy on, like even on the shows when the, the four of them are on there and when they're doing the skits it's, uh, it's another level of, of funny you always do skits with, they always man you up with hop, eh? 
Is that pretty funny? Yeah, Hopper's good, except he's, he's good. Like, he's, he's a good guy. I played juniors with Hopper, so I've known him a long time. Whenever people ask me, you know, what's it like? And he's a good guy. He's, you know, he's very family-oriented. He's, um, you know, trains a lot of the kids' sports and he's involved and stuff. He was a great rugby league player. He just, he does a few silly things. And that's that's sometimes, you know, his passion to win and, and, and for success, you know, crosses the line and he does some silly things. But look... I've known Hop and been mates with him for 20 years. I coached William all the way through his career and I actually got to coach Hop as I was his A-grade coach at Cove. And How, was that? How was that? <laughs> it was an experience, let me tell you. But listen, with Hop, right, he's got such a good heart and uh, the people, yeah, they see the, the stuff he does yeah. bad, but Hop always takes ownership of anything he's done. And he'll always, I remember telling the, he'd tell the kids, do as I say, not as I do. He had this saying, but... Uh, but in the 20 years I've been involved with him at a junior level, he's helped so many young kids and so many of them kids grew up looking up to Hop because he was really different to what people perceive him as a, as a footballer. Yeah, he was a bit nutty on the field, but as a person, very family-orientated. Brenda, great woman, and uh, like I said, I'll always be in the Hop Whitey's corner because he's always shown my family respect and he's always been a good guy to me. So, yeah, he's I'm the same guy. as you. He's um, you get him on those skits and uh, he's he, pretty funny. He could be interesting. He is funny. I, he's one of the funniest guys I've played with. He's uh, he's good to have around a team environment. Um, yeah, and you need all all different types to to be successful rugby league team. Two thousand twenty. Uh, there's been some changes in the way that the game has been run. Do you think they're positives and 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 what are your thoughts on the speed of the game these days? I'm excited. I think it's a really good. I think the six um yeah six again rule. I think it's been. Positive in that, uh, for me, a, a penalty, you know, for a, a minor infringement that could be a 50-50 can change momentum. You know, you get to stop play, you get to kick it out, you make 30 metres, then you have another set of six. Yeah, you know, in pretty much every circumstance, you're going to finish inside the opposition 20, which is an attacking kick, which is pressure, right? That's what you want to do, put, keep, keep building the pressure. So it was too much of a, an advantage just for a small ruck infringement. So I really think the six again has sped the game up and I think players are noticing. In the, Fatigue's coming <clears> into it. Yeah. Years, look, last year you could defend three, four sets of six on your line because there's a drop in between. So you get time to a breather, the ball goes dead, then they start the 30 second. You, you've got time to recover. When it's six more, it might be the fourth tackle, six more tackles, that's 10 tackles in a row. It, it, it's harder. It, it's a different fitness level. And I think the guys weren't expecting uh, it to be like that but I think it just opens up for the little guys and um, I, I'm really liking the, all the feedback I've got from, from from players and fans it's it's been positive did you start with one ref yeah one ref always one ref I don't think I uh, when did the two refs come in like mid 2000s or something two refs don't ask me technical questions like that. <laughs> You're supposed to be doing the research. Is this a Q&A? Is this a quiz? Do I need to buzz in? You need to hit the buzzer. <laughs> I didn't buzz. Where's, that, where's Eddie when you need him? Well, that's right. I um, Do you think – I actually, to, as a fan, to be honest, with the two uh, with the one refs uh, back from two refs, I haven't noticed them. And I no, think that's a positive. Yeah, and I think it's, it's a, a good part of the game that, you know, that – one ref can control. I think they've probably noticed the change in fitness-wise, having to, to be the main ref the whole time. Um, and I, I just like the fact that 
there's one there's lots of interpretation you know a ref in lots of sports a ref's interpretation um is paramount how long he likes the ruck to be held down when he likes people to move off the 10 meters it's a flow right it's a personal thing and refs are all trying to do it similar but they be that have different nuances um so to have two refs that can be unsettling for for teams you know when you one one ref lets you hold it down and peel off a little bit but the other one will penalize you um that can change the flow so uh the one ref one set of interpretations we're all trying to get the same but one set of um how long he likes timings tempos things like i think is going to minimize you know allow teams to push the edge but not have as many penalties Okay, so let's take a trip back in memory lane. You started your career, you're a Harbord United junior. Um, when did you start playing league? Uh, when I was about eight, uh, seven or eight, might have been under nines or under eights for Harbord. Someone came to, um, I think it's a development officer came to a, to a Harbord um, North Coco public school when I was there and said, who wants to play rugby league? And of course... I didn't put my hand up. My older brother put his hand up and said, I want to play. He, he played. And I said, well, if he's playing, I want to play too. So I lobbed down there with my, with my bowl haircut and my floppy blonde hair and off I went. When you actually came through the juniors, you, uh, you got picked to play Aussie schoolboys. Were you expecting that and how did that sort of unfold? Um, not really, no. As, as a junior, you, you play because you love it and you don't really expect to get in. I played New South Wales schoolboys, so, you know, obviously made the side and it, w- it was good. But, uh, you know, that next level of Australian schoolboys um, w- was quite a jump. So to get selected, I was, uh, you know, uh, pretty surprised, actually. And who else? Was there any names of note that came through that? I think uh, Sid Domic, Matt Sears. Wow. Matty Sears was an incredible player at at his peak, speed-wise and, you know, laterally left yeah. and right. Yeah, off, off the mark. I think that, that famous when... Um, Brett Mullins, who's can run, right? He, he comes to the fullback and runs around Sears. And Sears, he turns directly behind him and chases chases him down and, and tackles him, which I've never seen that. You know, someone doing a cover tackle, I've seen, but someone coming front on, being, getting run around and him turning and just chasing him down is, um, yeah, he, his, his acceleration was amazing. Not many people might know this. Originally, when you were a young star, the first offer from a rugby league club was the North Sydney Bears, who offered you $5,000 to go over. Did you ever really consider that? Would you seriously have gone over to the Manly Seagulls arch rivals? Well, well, you did, you know. So you're going from... I just played New South Wales schoolboys. It was in 92, and um, we just finished the carnival, and, and, and Steve Martin came over and said, oh, you know, we're... We're keen to sign you, and I was I was a local junior at Manly, so I was on no money. And if someone says, "Look, come and see us," and um, I'm going to give you five thousand dollars, going from going from a hundred thousand to one hundred and five, not a big difference. Going from zero to five is a big difference. So I was seventeen, eighteen, and um, so he said. So there's a bit of a story. So he said. Come and see us next week. Don't tell anyone. We want to sign you. So I turn up with my stepdad and we we walk North Sydney Oval and check it, check all the facilities. And he takes us around and we go inside. Yeah, what's going on? Does the full hoo-ha. This is, you know, five grand. We want to offer you five grand for three years. Get back to us next week. Don't tell anyone. Keep this sweet, sweet side. I don't tell a soul, right? So we go home. Oh, my God, five grand. That's 
massive. How good's this? So we, we go home and we're sitting there. And old school, only had the, the, the old school telephones. <laughs> the kids probably wouldn't know. Wouldn't know. So, so I'm sitting there at home and the, the phone rings and mum picks up an answer and says, oh, oh Beaver, it's for you. I said, well, who is it? She said, oh, it's Bob Fulton. Bozo, he's never rung me. He was involved in, my, in our junior sides. I played Scott Fulton was my age. And so he had a, a bit of involvement, but I'd never... Spoke he'd, he'd never called my house. So, well, okay. So I, I get, uh, hello, Bob. And he goes, right. He goes, Beaver, I know you've been to North Sydney. I know they've offered you five grand. We want to sign you. Come down and see me tomorrow. And then boom, that was it. And I just went, oh my God. How much was there off a nine, I heard? No, I think I think we got out. I think we got him for eight. It was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but I didn't tell a soul and he knew that afternoon that I'd been there and been offered so five. You grand. can't get <laughs> he's like this, you can't and get away with anything. So we went down the next day and saw him. He said, I know they've offered you five, what do you want? And I'd just been accepted to ACPE and I think it was eight grand a year. I said, Well, eight grand would be good because that yeah, you know, if nothing happens with my footy, that's my. That's I'm going to be a PE teacher, and he said done. And we walked out and went. Oh, maybe we should have asked for ten. <laughs> oh, that, that is so good. So, but I mean, your granddad played for Manly, right? Yeah, Mackie Campbell. Yeah, he played in Manly's first ever first grade side in forty seven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was. Um, Did he yeah. give you advice on who you should be with? I'm sure he would have. Well, he he was biased to, to the Seagulls, but it's. Um, no, he used to. He used to have. The, I think he's. I think um, my nan, so Popo's um, wife, is still alive. Lives up with my mum there, so she. I think she still has the. Uh, she still has the, the VHS, the, the cassettes, the yeah. of all the games that he used to. He used to record the games. So if we played Souths, one year when we're playing Souths the next year, he yeah. watched the game the week before and say, right, this is this is what you need to do and tell me the give me the run through of what to do. Awesome. He used to love it. Yeah, he used to lo- he used to love it. And yeah, he, he was a very passionate man. You made your debut in round thirteen of that year. It really didn't take you that long to jump in the first grade. How was that feeling running out onto Brookie for the first time? Yeah, it was um yeah, intimidating. So like you said, I, I played uh, about six or seven um twenty ones games in ninety three. Um then I played about six or seven reserve grade games. And then Nick Kossoff, a good mate, does his knee for the first time. Um, he ended up doing two Ricos on each knee. So this was the first time he'd done it. He was, I think he was 19, so I got to start in, in first grade. And we played the Broncos on a Friday night and I was shooting myself. Um, there's there's footage of, of, I think it was on the Channel 9 or whatever. So And I didn't realise until someone had told me there's footage of me sitting there. So I'm fresh reserve, I was sitting on the bench. Cliffy was next to me actually. So I'm sitting there and all these Broncos are running out down the, the, the old tunnel there at, 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 Brookie. at Brookie. And I've just got this look on my face, just going, my mouth's open, my eyeballs are like, like saucepans, just going, oh, <laughs> just staring Who was at that these. Broncos side? Like, um, was Lewis in that side? No, he, he wasn't in there. Um, there that's was, a great side. Yeah, it was, there, and, and it's weird because it's, and I'm sure it's for, for anyone that's, you know, whether it be any type of career, you, you, you know, you know, eight weeks ago, you're sitting watching these guys on TV and now you're supposed to run out and tackle, tackle. them and, and run into them and there's Mark Hone and all these. No, they, it was intimidating. So um, it, it was exciting to be out there and um, it was so fast and you just... 
you come off and you're you're knackered after five minutes and just the experience and the the pace and the level that it, it was you just wanted to play it again next week now that era um i particularly from a fan's point of view i think it was one of the greatest eras we had that side that 95 96 97 side did you feel first of all did you guys fulfill your potential with that side because when you look at the names in that side incredible guys like Spard um and Craig you know, Guinness Tuvi. I, I was going to mention Craig I will ask you a question because okay. I got it written down but you had Tuves and you had everyone in that side and that formidable back row of yourself Nick Kosef Dan Gardner very all young but probably the best back three in the game how talk us through that period of time in your life yeah, look, it was an amazing period and we all sort of were all similar ages and we came into, uh, I think we all sort of started playing 93, 94, the three of us. And, you know, guys like, with like Hopper and Jack Ellsgood um, that that were in the team and then you had all the, the older guys like Spud they brought in and Owen Cunningham and Jeff Tuvin, Cliff Lyons and Craig Guinness and Matthew Ridge and all these guys had a great mix of you know youth and experience and it was the best side for those three years we won 96 um but it, you know, unfortunately we lost 95 against the Bulldogs was that uh, was did you feel like I always felt in 2007 that uh even though you guys lost you were getting uh ready for something better in 2007 did you feel that way in 95 or did you nah, guys you just act, feel this is nah, crap. It, well look look it, it's yeah, there's a saying you, you got to lose one to win one, and yeah. that's not always the case. But just the grand final week, grand final day, the whole experience—you can't replicate it. You know, you can play State of Origins, you can play Australia, but if you're a good player, you could. You know, Tim Brasher. I, I give the example. Tim Brasher hit the first ever year. He was like, I think he was 17, 89. Wow. So they played the grand final for the Tigers. That was his first ever year of first grade. He's going, how good's this? Yeah, we lost, but yeah. Who are we going to play next year in the grand final of the year? Mate, he, ne- he played one semi-final game for the rest of his career. So, so it, just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. So uh, the grand final week is a unique experience. There was the grand final breakfast and you're getting up early and all the media attention and you try and make it as normal as possible, but you can't. So uh, you play the game in your mind and there's nerves and there's a lot of things that go into it and you know i remember that 95 game which i've never watched a replay um of i remember kickoff and then i remember looking up going whoa you know how how, how long to go and i look up there was seven minutes to go and it was like 21 4 and i just went holy crap it, it's gone it just went like that so it's it's one of those things they'd played it was terry lambs i think it was his last game um they had more experience they'd been there before and um, that's the great, that's the sad, but the great thing about the game that it doesn't matter what you've done. I think we lost three games the whole season, wow. uh, you know, 22 rounds and semifinals. And the fourth game we lost was uh, maybe two games all year. And the third or fourth one we lost was a grand final. 96, Bart, that was a good year. And the weirdest thing about that GF where I looked it up last night was that Coe actually played 5'8 then. Did he start at 5'8 yeah, no, we, and Cliffy was off the bench? Yep. Bozo used to do that a little bit. Cliffy had, you know, Nick had, because he was a good ball player, Nick, and had some pace. So he would often, you know, even start Owen Cunningham at a hooker and just be a bit of a running forward uh, or, or start Nick at six. And he would just play as an extra forward, running forward. Then Cliffy could come on and do his magic after 15, 25 minutes, whatever. It was, we, we did that a, a fair bit during the season. 
a guy who doesn't get a lot of raps, and you mentioned his name before, and he was one of my favourite players, Craig Innes. He's a Kiwi, right? Yeah. He reminds me of someone who ended up coming in back into the side where I got to become friends with all you guys, which was Stevie mm-hmm. Bell. Yeah. What kind of influence did Craig Innes have as a player in the, in that era? He was just so solid. Like he's, um, yeah, he's a great attacking uh, player. He was a great, yeah, super good defensive. No one ever got around him. No one ever intimidated him. Um, so you have like, yeah, you know, he was just a solid guy. You knew like a Stevie Maddai or Steve Bell or someone um, that they ju- you just know that you're not going to get let down by them. So we had Craig Innes on one side and, and then Terry Hill on the other side who were just verbally. Is yeah. he the greatest sledger in the, in the history? Hopper's, of the Hopper's pretty good, but I think Tezza's good. Tezza would just get out there and like literally. Give us a Terry Hill story. Before, <laughs> before, they, before they even kicked off, I think, yeah, he, he was given the order to say, rip into Steve Renouf. They're playing Broncos, rip into him. Would they hadn't even kicked a ball off. He'd stepped literally across the... And he's going, yeah, 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 I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like <laughs> ripping into him. He's going, mate, we, we haven't even kicked off yet. It's, and he just nonstop just sledged him for 80 continuous minutes. And he didn't have a good game. He was just going, what the hell is this guy doing? Like his focus was taken away. Like, there's a, it was... He's unique. He, he's unique. And, but Tezza was fast. He was aggressive. He was intimidating. Yeah, he was um, Yeah, he was an amazing. So he, we, we had him on the right and, and Craig Innes, um, yeah, who had different, yeah, just as great defensively, just as great attacking, but obviously different. Different, different personality. Set, different personality. But, but just two um, yeah, really strong edge-type edge players that you could, um, you could rely on. Your relationship with Cliffy Lyons, you must have scored, you know, half of your tries coming off Cliffy. Was that a relationship that was worked on or was it, or was it more of a natural connection with you and Cliffy? Well, it's, it's, it was more natural. Uh, I think we had, there was like one move where he'd sneak across the back and I'd hang with it. But the rest was just where he, was, where he thought there was an opportunity. He'd say, give me the ball and I'd hang around him. And it, it was one of those, you know, if I thought the gap was going to be outside, that's where it hit it. But if it closed late, I would just cut deep on the inside or scoop, you know, kick outside or whatever and just literally shout out, skipping out wide, napper, or, or cutting late, you know, hit me, you know, come back, step back on the inside. What, I could just talk to him and he would just sum it up and, and hit me. And yeah, as a ball runner, and I say this all the time, as a ball runner, you're only as good as, you know, the guy passing you you can be the best hole runner in the world but in perfect position but if the guy doesn't pass you the ball at the right time or you know hold his defender up little subtle things then you you don't look any good and I suppose it works both ways but I've played with ball players for 20 years and there'd be a handful less than a handful that I can run wherever I need to wherever I want and just tell them where I'm going to be and And they can can hit me whereas other great players if I'm not where I'm supposed to be then it's they can't get to the ball because it because it just that subtle awareness and skill like I could I could skip two players out or I could see a gap forming you know on the inside and just say Cliffy yeah you got to come back to me you know get come back hard and he would could do it you know so it was a bit of a lot of intuition by by both of us um, and I've never played with no like there's a Brad like a Andrew Johns, Brad Fittler and and Cliffy. That that are the ball players that could I could just run where I wanted and they they would still find me. 
Yeah. If it was a if it wasn't on, then they wouldn't hit me. It was just that. That's how good they are, right? <coughs> oh, uh, they knew. Uh, amazing, yeah, that's right. Um, and Cliffy's just the best I've ever I've ever played with in, on on that thing. And he, yeah, he still does it today. Is he still <laughs> in touch, around here? In touch footy, he's still throwing dummies going through. It's 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 good to watch because he's super slow, and he won't mind me saying that. But he runs and he'll just do a double pump. He goes, yeah, the double pump always gets him. Like he'll just do the big dummy, little dummy, and they go, uh, uh, and then he waltz through, and then he'll just look for someone faster to flick it to. He's so good to watch. Before we get into the Super League War, I want to talk to you about the GF97. Was that the most disappointed you've ever been uh, as a footballer? Because that was a crazy game. Um, yeah, look, it was a crazy game and it's disappointing. Like if you lose a grand final, I would I would rather not play a I would I'd rather not play a grand final than play a grand final and lose. It's um yeah, again we yeah, we lost in 95. Um we had a great season in 96 and we'd won. And again in 97 we we'd had a great season and we uh we'd beaten Newcastle the majority of the times throughout the um, throughout the year and it's they just you know I hadn't watched that game until maybe 10 years ago when I, I wrote a book and, and um, yep. they said look watch the game and, and see what you think because you play you play a game and you never watch it and then because you're only talking to Manly fans you were robbed there was this there was that <laughs> your mind gets bent says yeah that, you that, get was, twisted. <laughs> that was true but so for a chapter in the book I said I'm going to watch the 97 grand final so I watched it and it's we had chances, we didn't take them, and they were better in the end. You know what I mean? I think Cliffy kicks a field goal, hits the. I don't think Cliffy's ever kicked a field goal for in his life. I'm not sure why he took the shot, but it's, I should have taken. It. But it, it hit the crossbar. But they they were the better side, and and it sort of put me at not that I, time sort of eases it, but it's um. When you it, look at history, <laughs> but they that is a great side. Like yeah, you can talk about Joey and the Johns factor, but as a Manly fan, or shattering. When, in that game, did you actually ever feel like they were coming to get you hard, or were you? Well, like, not until not until the last not until ten Joey. minutes. Well, not until the last ten minutes. Like like the last five minutes that we were on, then they score a try. Then it's it's twenty odds game on. Um, have we got some footage? I want to see who was lazy on the inside of that. Who should have been there? I think it was. Was it Hop? No, it was. Who's oh, that? Hop was it? Marker. I think Hop, <laughs> Hop was lazy at Marker. I think it was. I think it was Spud or Nick. I'm going to call them out. I want to see the video footage and it's their fault. That's what I'm saying. For the final try? For the final try. Yeah, but I mean, who who would ever think that he was going to go short side? Well, he did because he saw Hopper yeah, lying, on the, yeah, Hopper's lying on the ground. I'd like to talk to Joey about that and go, did you, did you go because it was Hop or did you go because you just saw Well, I think I've briefly spoken to him and Mark Hughes, who I'm good mates with. It's weird because they were our biggest rivals yeah. over that time. You know, we had some... Um, but they were probably our best mates in other teams. Like we'd go up there and, and well, bash each other, but I, would, I wouldn't do much. And then we'd go and stay at their houses and hang out with them. So we are good mates. Yeah, with Chief and Mark Hughes and um, Matty and uh, and Joey, Adam Muir, <coughs> those guys. So we, they were our best mates off the field, you know, in other teams, but they're our biggest rivals. And uh, he, he has said he, he saw – the new Hop was on the ground. He, he'd seen him, so he took off um, – he took off short side and then just looked back on the inside and I think um, Darren Albert Darren Abbott wrapped kicked around, through. Yeah, yeah. But look, it's that's the way it goes, you know. It's yeah, I would have loved to have won all three, but that's that's sport and that's history. 
That's it. They're hard to win. Like like you said, you talked about Timmy Brasher thinking, oh, how good is this? You know, first year <laughs> yeah. in at 17 or 18, I'm, I'm in a GF, plenty more to come, and he never gets an opportunity. Yeah, that's right. And that's that's the that's the tough part about it. And, and I think he played Origin Australia for the majority of his career, but never played – he played one more semi-final. Super League, how was that madness for you personally, Beeves? You were still relatively in the infancy of your career. Your alliance with the ARL was the only option for you and the Manly Club at that time? Well, I think we we're all, because we we're aligned with the ARL, Bozo was part of it and Manly was, you know, pretty Kenny much. Kenny Yeah, Ken Arco was with, aligned with the ARL and he was our CEO. So we were never really going everywhere and we we're all young. I think we were like 23 and when they, they just sort of say this is, because we're, uh, you know, if Manly goes to Super League, I think it, it falls. We're probably one of the key, <clears throat> one of the key teams. So they sort of got us all in a bus and said, let's go over and we walked in a room and. And a couple of there. brown paper bags. <laughs> no, I wish there was, there was no brown paper bags. People talk about that. Like that's part of history, but that's bullshit. You know, I think someone someone should do a movie or write a book about it because there will be some cool stories coming out of it. And it's So we all went over there and depending on you, whether how many first grade games you played, city, country, New South Wales or Australia was how much they'd offer you. So it's they walk in and say, do you want you know, 200 grand to play in the comp you played last week? <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> Surely yeah. guys but like bartered but Well well I think that there is a good story about um so Tim Brasher and, and Freddie get, get put in and Brasher's a bit more frugal than, than Freddie and um they sit down and say, Right, you guys have got we're gonna give you two fifty, whatever the number was, two fifty or three hundred, whatever it was, to play in the comp. And Freddie's going, Yep, and Brasher goes, Nah, we want four hundred. They said sold. <laughs> so Freddie just made a hundred grand because Brash <laughs> wanted serious. more, like like it was that kind whatever of. the numbers were. But it was just it was crazy, and they didn't they couldn't afford to not, to not sign them. But they they couldn't afford, in hindsight they couldn't afford to sign them. You know what I mean? Like it, it was crazy that a war started and each team was just scrambling. So Matthew Ridge and uh, Ian Roberts said, "Nah, well." We're not taking your first offer. We're going to go check to see what, um, you know, see what Super League had to offer. Then they come back, and I think a, a couple of the, the Bulldogs blokes, Kraken and Dean play, and yeah, they went ARL. Then they came back to the Super League, and if you knew now, you just go, well, let's hedge my bets up, up, and yeah, you know, let's have an auction, boys. But that was massive, in, like inflated wages for rugby league. So, uh, like you said, like. The ARL was pushing a corner where they, if they didn't offer that kind of money, they could lose you guys. They'd lose the game. Yeah, but that's right. And nearly sent them broke in the meantime. Well, that's they couldn't afford to, to make the offers and they couldn't afford not to make the offers. Like They couldn't win. It was, you know, it's like a sport saying, we're going to split you in half and you're going to, you know, you're going to bid for each player to play in your comp. You can't afford not to or you don't have a comp. Some guys would have been sitting there just rubbing their hands and going, this is the best ever, especially guys at the end of their careers who were still big names where ARL wanted to keep them. Well, I think some of the guys were like 33 or 34 and they signed six-year deals <laughs> on like half a million bucks. The only one who would get away with that would be Cliffy, really, because he could play to 40. Well, I think some guys retired and were still getting paid for like Super League money. After they retired. Wow. <laughs>